Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. In this birth of Isaac, we see Abraham doing something very significant. He circumcised his son as God commanded him. Here in verse 4, he has a newborn son. It's Abraham's only son. It's Abraham's son who he loves. And God has just called Abraham to take his newborn son, whom he loves, and do something that is only a practice for what he's going to do 30 years later. When, where we are now in this chapter, when he's a newborn son, he takes him to circumcise him. 30 years later, in the next chapter, in Genesis 22-2, is going to be the call from God, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. So just as Abraham in verse 4 was called by God to take a knife in his hand and cut Isaac. This practice, 30 years later, God's going to say, you take now your son and go to Mount Land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I'll tell thee of. And just as Abraham in verse 4, he takes the knife, he lifts it up over his son. 30 years later, we're going to see in Genesis 22.10, Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. See, it wasn't easy for Abraham to circumcise his son, as we saw in the case of Moses. Moses didn't circumcise his son, and it made God angry in Exodus 4, 24 through 25, to the point where God was ready to kill Moses over this issue, where we read, and it came to pass by the way of the inn, that the Lord met Moses, met him, and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, surely a bloody husband art thou to me. Man, you think you have some difficult wives? (laughs) But in verse 4, see that Abraham, he didn't hesitate to obey God and circumcise his son. He went right ahead, which shows us how important it is to obey God in the little things so that we'll be ready when he calls us for the great things. And so we look at verse 4 and we see that this is preparation for his life's greatest uh, event. So now, verse 5, the spotlight's still on Abraham. We see verse 5, there's an emphasis. Abraham's 100 years old. And so as we look at this scene, there's great joy, and God directs us to focus in on the age of Abraham and really to focus in on the fact he's 100 years old when Isaac is born to him. It just shows how miraculous this birth of Isaac was, how impossible it was for Abraham to have a son at his age without God. It emphasizes that the birth of Isaac is all of God. The birth of Isaac prefigures the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5 emphasizes to us the impossibility of it all. It causes us to look at his age. He's 100 years old. That's impossible if it was not for God. 
And as impossible as it was without God for Abraham to have a son at the age of 100, so impossible was it without God for a virgin to conceive, Isaiah 7, 14, and have a son. It's so impossible as it was for God the Son to be given to man, as it says in Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So impossible was it without God for a child to be born who was the mighty God, the everlasting Father, as we learned from Isaiah 9.6. From John 1.1, 1, 1, the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, John 1.14. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And it's impossible without God for the world and the universe to exist. It's impossible without God to have an explanation of how the world exists. What was the probability of the resurrection? <laughs> Very improbable. But it's impossible for the Lord Jesus Christ to leave an empty tomb that we can go visit today in Jerusalem. So pointing our attention in verse 5 to the fact that Abraham is 100 years old leads us to repeat the words we already saw the Lord Jesus Christ said, with God all things are possible. Now in verse 6, it starts with three very important words. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so all here. Someone might say, why should we listen to what Sarah has to say? Because Abraham's the star of the show. But in the Bible, God has his hands on the spotlight, and he controls where the spotlight shines. And throughout the Bible, it's important for us to see what God chose to turn that spotlight and to shine it on. And here we see that God has chosen to turn the spotlight on Sarah and hear what she has to say. It's very instructive for us as we look at these few verses in Genesis 21 of how God changes the spotlight from Abraham to Sarah and Abraham to Sarah back and forth. The spotlight is changing between Abraham and Sarah to show us how much they both were involved in God's work, being the family to bring Isaac through whom the Lord Jesus Christ is gonna come through. It shows us how much both Abraham and Sarah are what are called in 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Your prayer should not be hindered. So we talk about how important Abraham was, but Abraham was an heir together with Sarah of the grace of life. And so the spotlight changes in verse 6 from Abraham to Sarah, and we can see God with his hands on the spotlight changing it, and what he's doing here is he's saying here, I'm giving honor to Sarah by changing the focus. In verse 6, God is saying, I'm giving honor to Sarah, as that verse in 1 Peter 3, 7 says, husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Let's hear what Sarah has to say, God is saying. Not that it was difficult to hear what Sarah had to say, but she's going to teach us something, God says. And something's going to be good, something's going to be valuable. And so God wants husbands to say, let's hear what my wife has to say. It's going to be valuable to hear. Let's hear what she has to say. It'll be good. So now we have these valuable words that Sarah has to say to teach us. In verse 6, Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. That's the first thing she says. So here we see that Sarah is saying, I am a changed person. The change has happened. It's been done by God. And just as it says in Philippians 2.13, God works in you to change you. He works in you. He changes your will. He changes what you do. So it'll be of his good pleasure. Isaiah 26.12, the Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us, 
For thou also hast wrought all our works in us. So the works, the doing, is all the work of God in us. Jeremiah 31, 33, he's speaking about the new covenant he's going to make with the house of Israel. He said, this shall be my covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my law in their inward parts and write them, write it on their hearts, and then I'll be their God and they shall be my people. And then the king said, that he may incline our hearts unto him. Turn us so that we care about God. Turn us so that we're interested in God to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments. So before Sarah had this scornful laugh, yeah, scornful laugh. It was a laugh of unbelief. She didn't believe God could make her have a baby. She laughed. She laughed. That was a laugh of unbelief. Same type of laugh in Psalm 22 when they said, um, let him deliver him. They mocked. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. That's mockery. And so in Genesis 18, 12, we had read that Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure in my Lord being also? That was a laugh that Sarah had concealed. She hid it inside of her. Sarah heard what God said to Abraham outwardly. She didn't show any outward sign of unbelief, but in her heart of hearts, she didn't believe it, and she mocked it. And now Sarah is saying in herself out loud, God's really made me to laugh because he's changed me. And now she's saying, I'm laughing. I'm really laughing. I'm laughing when I look at the impossibility of it and the promise of God, and I'm crying, it shall, it shall be done because God said it. So God made me to laugh. So she looks at God's promise, and she finally gets it from Genesis 18, 14. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. Nothing is too hard for him. Okay. So by saying in verse 6, God made me to laugh, She's teaching us how we should view impossible situations. You know, we look at, the gra- at our graves, maybe by a grave plot, anyway. Look at the grave, and we look at God's promise in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, where it says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we look at the impossibility of rising from the graves in the new body, and we laugh. We laugh in the joy of believing God in spite of how impossible it is. That's what Sarah teaches us, God's made me to laugh. And she looks back on it, she says, God made me laugh. One day we're going to stand in heaven. We're going to stand in heaven, we're going to be like Sarah, we're going to look at all the impossibility of getting to heaven, and we're going to say, God made me to laugh. God made me to laugh. Then she says another statement at the end of verse 26. She said, God made me to laugh, and all that here will laugh with me. Now, Sarah says, all that here will laugh with me. The question is, how are those all that she's referring to going to hear? And the answer is, Sarah says, don't you worry about that. (laughs) Sarah is going to make it her business to make sure that they all do hear because she's going to tell them, Sarah's going to tell them. When she says all that here, she's saying, you can't hold me back from telling them. I'm going to be unstoppable from telling others what God has done. See, first, Sarah took time to consider what God did for her. She did what Samuel told the Jewish people to do in 1 Samuel 12, 24, when he said, fear the Lord, serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. Consider how great things he had done for you. Take time to think about the great things that God has done for you. That's the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, he heals the 10 lepers. And there's only one that, that gave him thanks. In Luke 17, he entered into a certain village, met him 10 men that were lepers. They stood far off, lifted up their voice, said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
why didn't the nine give thanks? And the answer is, the nine did not do what Samuel told Israel to do. They didn't consider how great things he hath done for you. They didn't consider it. So the nine, they were just glad to get out of the predicament. They wanted to forget it, get rid of everything that represented they were lepers, destroy all the photos. And the only reason, only reason we don't give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ is because we don't consider and take time to consider how great things the Lord has done for us. So verse 6, Sarah is considering the great things that God had done for her. And as she does, she makes a vow. She makes a vow that everybody's going to hear about it. And the Lord Jesus Christ is in the land of the Gadarenes. He delivers a man who was possessed with a legion of devils. And this man just wants to stay with the Lord Jesus Christ. But what happened? He said, how be it Jesus suffered him not, but saith to him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for you and have compassion on thee. He departed and began in Decapolis to tell how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. All that here shall laugh with me. All men did marvel. That's Matthew 5, Mark 5, 18 through 20. That man was unstoppable. He told everyone he came in contact the great things that the Lord Jesus Christ had done for him. See, evangelism is being so thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ for what he's done for us, it becomes infectious. It becomes a bit infectious. That's what happened. That's what Sarah's talking about here. She's considered how great things God has done for her. The Great Commission, it's a call to consider the great things God has done for you and then go out and tell others. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, when he says, go teach all the nations, and he says, you teach them to observe the things whatsoever I have commanded you. So in other words, he's saying, you teach others what you have learned. You teach others what you've been taught. You teach others what you are thankful for, what you, you've considered the great things. And so Sarah was taught through great things of having a baby when she's old, that nothing's too hard for God, and everybody's going to hear about that. And when we consider our personal sin, the judgment we deserve, and how the Lord Jesus Christ forgave us and saved us, along with Paul, we say, 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm chief. He steps right up there and he says, I've considered myself and the great things that God has done for me, and so therefore I'm telling you. So in verse 6, when Sarah says that all will hear will laugh with me, those last words in verse 6 really bring out something about Sarah. Sarah is saying, when I tell others about the great things that God has done for me, it's not going to be like a boring class on religion. She says, I guarantee it. I'm going to tell others with such a smile on my face, with such a joy in my eyes, that I'll be laughing and I'll be so infectious, other people are going to laugh with me. She's saying here that when she talks about God, she's going to come on strong. That's what Sarah's saying. And Sarah is going to give her testimony, and everyone who hears is going to be laughing along with Sarah for the great joy. And then in verse 7, she says, and here's how I'm going to make them laugh. Here's a sample. She's going to give us a little sample of what she's going to say. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that God should give him children to suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. 
She's just really hamming it up now. See, can you believe that? The Jewish lady's hamming it up. She's really getting into it. And she's telling, she says, I'll tell you how I'm going to make them laugh. And say, we can see Sarah. You know, she probably could have all bent over the cane like this, you know, walking around. And she says, and Sarah's going to come cobbling in like this. And she says, look, Abraham, Sarah's going to give children suck. <laughs> I started laughing at that, you know. And say, Sarah's going to nurse children. Can you believe that? Nurse a child? Sarah's going to make milk? She can't even make saliva to keep her mouth moist. <laughs> She's going to really go for it. And here comes old Abraham. Look at him there. He's 90 years old. And now at last Sarah's going to deliver to him a son? That's a laugh. Laugh with me. See, that's what she's going to do. She's telling us that. She said, I've born him a son in his old age. She said, that's interesting what she says. She said, I bore Abraham a son in his old age. You know, she didn't say, I bore a son. You know, I've born a son or I had a baby. She said, I've born Abraham a son. It shows how much Sarah really felt Abraham's pain. She was one with Abraham, and she wanted so much to take that pain away from Abraham. She wanted so much to give the baby and say, here's the son I bore you. This was her joy. She wanted to take Abraham's pain away by being able to give him a son. shows how much her life was oriented around her husband. She wanted that so much. She would not have made a good leader in the Women's Lib organization, that's for sure. Now we read in verse 8, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. So the first part of verse 8 says, the child grew and was weaned. And God is calling that out to our attention. The child grew. Does everybody hear that? The child grew and was weaned. Why is it so important to say the child grew? Because the child was only eating or drinking Sarah's milk. If Isaac is going to live only on Sarah's milk, will she make enough milk? Will her milk be of enough, have enough nutrients in it for the kid survives? And so verse 8 tells it, listen, this little kid didn't he just survive. He grew on this milk that she made. So not only does Sarah make milk for Isaac in her old age, the quantity was enough, the quality was enough, and Isaac grew. And everyone was amazed. And they all looked, and they watched. She probably nursed him until three or four years old until, you know, a little kid probably went up and, you know, lifted up her blouse or something. She says, no, we've got to wean him now. But everyone's amazed to see the little kid growing on Sarah's milk. And Sarah says to Abraham, well, it's time to wean the little boy, the little fella. You know, it's time to wean him. So Abraham says, okay, that's good. Don't do it yet. I've got to get a big party ready. We're going to have a big, huge celebration, a celebration for the day you wean him. I don't know if Isaac was real happy about that, but it didn't matter. So now we're at the celebration in verse 9, and everyone's rejoicing in what God has done. And all of a sudden, the spotlight turns and it shines on Sarah, and she sees that not everyone's rejoicing. She sees in verse 9, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. Sarah, who does Sarah see? She sees Ishmael. But see, the beauty of verse 9 is we're looking through the eyes of Sarah. And Sarah, Ishmael means God has heard him. Sarah doesn't see the kid named God has heard him. It doesn't say Sarah saw Ishmael because that's not who Sarah saw. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. And which she bare unto Abraham. And so she's looking at Ishmael, and she said, that's the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. And that's what she sees, and that's what burns out from verse 9. That other woman in the house, Hagar, the Egyptian. She's not a Hebrew. She's an Egyptian. And all the fire of prejudice and hatred just rises up in Sarah. She couldn't despise that kid more than she does. That's a son of the Egyptian. It's against us, a traitor in our ranks. This is a wonderful family. And so what, 
What infuriated Sarah was that Ishmael was mocking in verse 9. He was making fun of it all. He was making fun of Abraham in his old age having a son. Oh, maybe it wasn't his son. He was making fun of Sarah in her old age. Ah, he was making fun of Isaac being weaned. Big deal. He was just mocking. And you know what's interesting here? This word mocking is the Hebrew word tzakak. Don't, I don't know why they have these. Anyways, this word mocking, the same Hebrew word is the one that's describing what the sons-in-law of Lot, when he said, come out of the city, and he seemed as one that mocked tzakak to his sons-in-law in Genesis 19.14. You know the ironic part about this? It's the same exact word that Sarah did in Genesis 18, 12, when it says, therefore, Sarah laughed, sakak, within herself, saying, after I'm waxed, shall I have pleasure her. So Sarah had been guilty of doing the same thing that Ishmael was guilty of doing, the laugh of mockery, which shows us that we are the most critical and the most unforgiving toward others that have the very sins that we are guilty of. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ brought out in John 8, where he had all the scribes and the Pharisees, and they brought unto him this woman taken in adultery. That's the accusation. And they said the woman was caught in adultery in the very act, and it says, Moses said we should stone her. Such should be stoned, in verse 5 of 8, John 8. And so and what did he say? thou? He's tempting him. He stoops down. He writes on the ground, he doesn't hear them. And then he continues, lifts up himself and says, he that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And they which heard it, verse nine, they which heard it, convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning the eldest of them to the least. See, like Sarah accusing and condemning and unforgiving of Ishmael, here comes this group of men strongly accusing this woman for the sin of adultery, like Sarah calling for the condemnation, cast her out into the desert to die out there, that his men say, such should be stoned. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, he that's without sin, let him be first cast a stone. What sin is he referring to? The same sin they were accusing her of, adultery. So he's saying, okay, the person that is without the sin of adultery, let him cast a stone at her. He that's never looked on a woman to lust after her in her heart, let him be the first one to cast a stone. He that has never thought an adulterous thought in his heart, let him be the first one to cast a stone. And they knew exactly the sin that he was referring to because it says when they heard it, when they were convicted by their own conscience, they went out one by one from the oldest to the youngest. Why from the oldest? Because they had more sinful thoughts of adultery than the rest of them. And showing us, like with Sarah, that we are the most accusing, the most unforgiving, the most condemning of the sins in others that we are the most guilty of. So as with Sarah, she's accusing, she's unforgiving, she's condemning of Ishmael's sin of mockery, the very sin she was guilty of. And so it shows us that as believers, the truth of Ephesians 4.32, where it says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you. Galatians 6.1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Tempted to what? Tempted to do what Sarah did. Tempted to be unforgiving. Tempted to be condemning. Tempted to cause the Lord to say to us, he that's without sin, let him first cast a stone at her. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to go into the home, into the hearts of Sarah and Abraham, and to learn by what you show us. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. You're invited to join the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for the second annual Taste of Creation Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction. It's Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m. This benefit dinner is in support of the Life and Light Foundation Ministries of the Creation and Earth History Museum, Israel Restoration Ministries, and the Friendship with God Radio Ministry. Come experience a fantastic food-themed night at the Creation Museum, and we'll have great guest speakers with Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Dan Sered, director of Israel's Jews for Jesus. We'll have an amazing night of auction items, so if you would like to attend, or if you're a local business or person that would like to donate and sponsor with a product or service in support of the Creation Museum auction on Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m., then call us with your support or to reserve a seat. 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or creationsd.org. Creationsd.org.